Welcome to Talking Theology, a podcast of Cranmer Hall Durham, where we explore some of life's big questions and try to join the dots between theology, church and world. Today you have a new host while Philip Fleming is away on study leave. My name is Sam Tranter, Director of Postgraduate Studies and Lecturer in Doctrine and Ethics at Cranmer Hall, and it's great to be with you. If you enjoy Talking Theology, do subscribe at your favourite podcast provider. Follow us on Twitter or Instagram at Talking Theo and share on social media. Thank you for listening. Now, on to today's episode. What does it mean to approach theology feet first? Why should churches in the UK and the West more generally engage with global theologies? And what might they learn in the process? What are some ways in which the history of Christian mission is being complexified and re-storied? For instance, how have Dalit Christians been missionaries to the missionaries? And finally, how can learning about different contexts in the global church help reinvigorate the ways we work together for justice and peace? In today's show, I'll be talking to the Reverend Dr. Peniel Rajkumar. Peniel is an Anglican priest and a theologian. Last summer, he was appointed as the Global Theologian at the Anglican Mission Agency, USPG, and as an Associate Tutor at Ripon College, Cuddleston. Prior to this, he was Program Coordinator for Interreligious Dialogue and Cooperation at the World Council of Churches. He's also held teaching positions at the Ecumenical Institute at Bossi and the United Theological College in Bangalore. And he has written extensively on Dalit theology, missiology and interfaith dialogue. And our title today is Mission from the Margins, How Can Paying Attention to the Witness of the Global Church Renew and Reinvigorate Christian Mission? Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the show. Peniel Rajkumar, welcome to Talking Theology. To kick off our conversation today, could you tell us a bit about yourself and the path you took to your current role at USPG as their global theologian? Uh, thank you, Sam. Um, let me start with my name. My name, Peniel, as you all probably might know, comes from Genesis 32. And uh, this is a story of Jacob wrestling with the unknown stranger. And after the wrestling, uh, the name that he gives for this uh, place is Peniel. Uh, and the rationale for that is that in the course of his struggle to know the unknown, he has seen the face of God. And my mother gave me this name because she uh, because she had a very uh, hard labor, and she saw she interpreted this as being a way of interpreting her own experience of having this uh, wrestling experience with God. And in some ways, this and also I was a breech baby, so I was born feet first. This metaphor of the feet has not just been the way my way of coming into the world. Uh, my being, but also has been the path of my becoming as a theologian. Uh, because feet have been very important for me as a liberation theology, uh, the liberation theologian, focusing on Dalit issues. And if you are aware of uh, the caste structure, it has helped me to focus on those who are draw- downtrodden, trodden down. Uh, so my journey to USPG started initially as a student of Dalit theology in India. It took me to the UK to do my PhD uh, from the University of Kent uh, on Dalit theology, focusing on those who are downtrodden by the caste system. 
And it has also, in some way, the metaphor of the feet have also, in some way, been the method of how I do my theology and my ministry, because I've always tried to do things from, uh, from bottom up, not feet up. Uh, that might be the wrong metaphor, but uh, to do things f- looking at structures of society, at ways in which theology is done from perspectives from the bottom. Uh, after my PhD, I was involved in parish ministry here in the UK in an urban priority area. And again, the metaphor of the feet uh, became very clear. Uh, one day I was involved in a winter night shelter project. And one of the things that we were doing was handing out footwear to people for whom the winter was more than just bitter. And then after five years um, here in the UK, I went back to teach in India and then moved on to the World Council of Churches, where again I was doing uh, interreligious dialogue. And the metaphor of the feet as being accompanying other communities, uh, other faith communities on the paths of justice and peace is also how I would describe uh, my journey. And after nine years of the World Council of Churches, I came to USPG, Anglican Mission Agency, primarily because this was a role which offered the possibility of combining all these different ways of how I understand my ministry uh, under the street, under the umbrella of justice, of peace and liberation. And that is how I ended up at USPG. Well, that's fantastic, Peniel. And, and so your biography is that of a global theologian uh, in its narrative. Tell us a bit more about this role with USPG you've arrived at now. What does it involve? What does a, a week in the life of a global theologian look like? Usually when I go and meet theological education students, uh, the one thing that I ask them not to ask is for me to explain what a global theologian is. But I'll make an exception for you. I see my role primarily as connecting the many dots of Christian theologies across the world. And I also strongly believe that the global cannot be understood apart from the many locals. And this in some ways also is uh, something which resonates with how we understand the church in Christian theology too, the body of uh, as a body of Christ, the body of Christ that is that has taken uh, its own root in different contexts. And so in my role as global theologian, I basically see uh, see this as something which connects the many locals to help us to glimpse the global. And uh, my role as a global theologian with USPG is primarily to help them with the three objectives of rethinking mission, uh, energizing church and community, and uh, also championing justice. So as part of rethinking mission, uh, a primary component of my role is to meet with theological education institutions, meet with students, and also with not just in the UK context, but also the wider Anglican communion, and then see how we can think or rethink mission beyond our perspectives that we have learned and inherited, which also have their own historical and political investment. So how do we, how can we be perceptive of this uh, investment and see and liberate ourselves from some of the earlier ways in which we are taught mission? which probably might not resonate with where God wants us to be. So that is one thing, Think, rethinking mission. The second thing is to work with communities on the ground who are involved in God's actions of justice, peace and liberation and accompany churches. Learn from churches is also, learning from churches is also part of my job. So how do I learn from the experiences of churches in a way that will also reshape my theology? The other thing is to champion justice, and this we hope to do, not just with our churches and with churches in the Anglican Communion or within the ecumenical movement, 
but also with interfaith partners, because we know that living out or moving closer to Jesus' promise of life in all its fullness isn't uh, something that Christians can do alone in this world today. It is about how we work with other communities in championing justice. That's a great picture of a very very diet of, of work. So thank you. I mean, it's exciting to get a glimpse of those different aspects. One of the locals, one of the contexts, if you like, that you have focused upon alongside this wide-ranging role has been in particular the Dalit community, Dalit experience, Dalit context. And that has been, in a way, your local that you've wanted to share with the wider Global Church Anglican Communion. Can you tell us a bit more about uh, that context and the Dalit theologies which have emerged from it? Those of us here who have an understanding of the Indian caste system, we probably know that the Indian caste system is, according to some, the oldest surviving hierarchy in the world. A very simplistic or simple uh, understanding of the caste system is in terms of this fourfold hierarchy of four castes, the Brahmins, the Kshatriyas, the Vaishyas and the Shudras. And the Dalit communities are those communities that did not belong to these four castes. They are outside. They, they are literally no people because they are outcasts from this primary structure of understanding human existence. They, they were uh, earlier called as the untouchables, but now the term Dalit is a term that they have chosen for themselves as, as a way of self-affirmation, affirming their agency. My work in Dalit theology actually started off when I was a student at UTC, the United Theological College in Bangalore, which also, incidentally, was the place where Dalit theology started. In 1981, there was this historical lecture by Arvind P. Nirmal. He basically called for the churches to shun what he thought was a theological passivity that did not take into consideration the majority of the Indian church. And he was appalled by the fact the Dalits who make up nearly uh, 50 to 70 percent of the Indian church did not feature in some of the the theologies that came out from India. And also Dalit theology is also a way of redressing the caste system within the Indian churches. Caste system is not something that is out there. Uh, caste, the, the caste discrimination, especially against the Dalits, is also something that we find in Islam, in, in Sikhism, even it has crept into uh, uh, religions like Buddhism and definitely in Christianity. Probably some of you may have heard that in some churches uh, there are different uh, cemeteries for Dalits and non-Dalits. And it's just a travesty that in some churches still uh, there are different cups that are being uh, used during communion for Dalits and non-Dalit Christians, which really tells us how broken the body of uh, Christ is. And therefore, my interest in Dalit theology was to, was to actually introspect as to what is wrong uh, with the way in which we understand Jesus and church and the world. And that triggered off my thinking of Dalit theology. But it was also a time when I was a student, it was also a time when Dalit theology was thriving as an academic discipline. But one of the challenges that I perceived was that though it was thriving as an academic discipline, probably uh, there was a bit of a gap about how it it percolated into the practice of churches. And therefore, my work basically has been to redress this gap uh, and to see how models of Dalit theology that will make the church much more practical in its application of Dalit theology might take place. 
Thank you. And could, could you give us a sense of some of those ways in which you see how Dalit theology, this blossoming academic conversation, could be an agent of changing the church in society? One of the challenges for Indian churches has been that the stigma of untouchability has been so strong that many people within the Indian churches try to hide the Dalit identity. And hiding the Dalit identity, many times it is also equivalent to not struggling for what is rightfully theirs. Um, and one, one way in which Dalit theology has challenged uh, Dalit Christians in churches is to embrace their identity and not subscribe to this whole uh, logic of stigma that is foisted upon Dalit communities by people from outside. Uh, rather to celebrate their culture and in celebration of their identity and culture, uh, also push forward with the agenda for liberation. For example, there's no need for Dalit Christians to hide their identity today. But if you have an idea of how the political system in India works, the, there, is, there is an agenda of uh, positive discrimination. And very interestingly, Dalit Christians and Dalit Muslims do not have access to this positive discrimination, which, is, uh, which are called as reservations. Because of the understanding that, there is, that Christianity and Islam uh, do not have the caste system as part of the DNA. But we know from, uh, from real life that in empirical life, in real life, this is not the truth. Despite the conversion to Christianity, Dalit Christians, most Dalit Christians are not liberated from the shackles of the caste system. They still experience discrimination. And therefore, one of the ways in which churches have been involved in liberation is to push for the agenda of having this positive discrimination, access to positive discrimination to Dalit, uh, Dalit Christians too. And, and breaking this myth that being a Christian, uh, unfortunately, does not translate into liberation in terms of upward social mobility or in terms of better um, social and social political and economic participation. Now, you explain your role as in some ways helping the global church hear these local stories and, and learning from these local stories. And I wonder, in your work with the World Council of Churches and now uh, here in the UK, you begin to share some of these uh, experiences, stories, theologies. Um, what are some ways in which the insights, possibilities of Dalit theology and practice can, as you see it, inform our witness, our sociopolitical witness here? One of the ways in which Dalit theology has been of a great service to the world church is just to make the world church aware of the context of the Dalit communities. It is a very different kind of discrimination that Dalit communities face. It, it, it is not the same of, uh, as racism where people can see the discrimination in some ways, right? So, and, and many people, and also one of one of my challenges when working for the WCC is also sometimes interreligious dialogue becomes a way of replicating and reinforcing some of the caste prejudices because Christians want to engage with Hindu communities. And when they speak of Hindu communities, it is usually upper caste Hindus. And therefore, certain issues 
on which Christians and Hindus can work together. Issues of justice, for example, uh, uh, pushing against the caste system do not feature on the agenda because this is considered too sensitive. So for the sake of dialogue, justice is sacrificed. And, and therefore, Dalit theology has helped interreligious dialogue to recover its liberatory uh, uh, potential. And in some ways, also when we speak about Christian mission and Christian mission theologies, Dalits have made the missionary story more Christian in the Indian context. Let me explain. In 2010, I was involved in a project for the uh, centenary celebrations of the Edinburgh Mission Conference, and we came up uh, with a project called Mission at and from the Margins. Mission from the Margins. Uh, what we sought to do was to understand how the mission story, sometimes the way in which it is told, often privileges the foreign missionary who came from outside and liberated the Dalit communities through uh, enabling them access to education and health care. Okay, there is some truth to it, but that's only the partial truth because actually when some of the missionaries came to India, they did not understand the caste system. The goal was probably to share the good news of Christianity understood primarily in terms of evangelism to a big block of Indians. The Dalit communities were invisible to them. And therefore, Dalit communities took the initiative to go to the missionaries and tell them that we exist. And if you are going to be Christian, uh, you, they held them in some ways, without, without the language, accountable to the Christian gospel. And that story is not told. And that is the story that the global church needs to hear about how Dalit communities rebaptized missionaries to a new gospel. And not to a new gospel, but to, the, but, the, but to the gospel that is very much part of the Christian story. They were the missionaries to the missionaries, and this story is not heard. Um, and that is also something that I've been trying to do as part of my work. How do we understand mission from the margins without effacing the story in the grand narratives that we have created out of mission? Thank you. Yeah, you, you often now hear the phrase mission from everywhere to everywhere. But to, to hear about missionaries to the missionaries, I think, is a really striking and phrase that will stick with us. I wonder, as you uh, now work with USPG, you, you go around talking about global theologies. Are there other particularly acute lessons you think the Western church, the church in the UK, can learn from some of the things going on globally? Yes, I think one of, one of the lessons that, that, the, that the church in the UK probably can learn now is how the global church is no longer something that is out there, but which is very much now part of the DNA of churches here in Britain and in the, in the UK context. And to come to terms with that changing identity of the of the church here is probably an important thing, a good starting uh, place. Otherwise, we will fall into pigeonholing Christianities here in the UK. To understand how the nature of uh, Christianity in the UK is changing, how uh, churches are changing, and how the local actually embraces the global in our midst in a way which will make change and reinvent the church in a new way, according to the eschatological revelation, the uh, eschatological vision that we see in Revelation of the many nations that are joined together uh, before the throne of the Lamb. That would be one thing. And also there are there are difficult questions. I come from USPG, you know, the history of USPG and problematic association with the slave trade through the legacies that uh, we received from uh, Codrington Plantations. To also engage with these difficult histories with honesty is also something that needs to uh, happen. 
to facilitate these conversations is also something that my role probably in some ways will be to say how do we engage with uh, difficult questions and i find this uh, concept by a tongan theologian called restoring by tongan theologian called sione avia to be quite uh, useful he uh, uses this concept of restoring uh, mission histories as restoring and he says by retelling our mission uh, histories in a way which privileges the marginalized in these uh, mission histories and in a way which reimagines the relationship between the colonizer and the colonized and also to repurpose these stories in a way that it will become teaching lessons for example we have lessons from history but do we learn from those lessons at all we all claim that there are lessons to be learned but to what extent do we embody the learning of these lessons thank you too i mean two really key threads for us to note there one um the sense in which the uk church is itself becoming globalized diverse we had a great conversation with harvey quiani on this podcast on some of his work exactly uh, on that development and then secondly this really striking haveas notion of restoring thank you for giving us that um renegotiating making sure we are actually learning the lessons um, and i know uspg has been doing that work can you tell us a bit about your own research and writing i know you you're writing again on dialect theology you tell us a bit about the direction of that research i started off looking at dialect theology the gap between praxis and theology and some of my work recently has been in the area of the rising hindu nationalism in the indian context and how this affects the dalit communities because one of the problems of the hindutva narrative is that it tries to co-opt dalit communities some of the non-christian non-muslim dalit communities into a pan-hindu fold by foisting on them a hindu legacy a heritage that is hindu which is not true and and this is this is done with the uh, intention to break dalit solidarities intra dalit solidarities to put uh, those communities that they call as dalit hindus against christians and muslims so that dalits become part of the hindutva project of nationalism and polemic um, uh, um, and and the polemics uh, the po- politics of polemic that happens some of my research has focused on how dalit communities actually resist such a uh, fracturing of solidarities and uh, also looking at how they relate uh, in in very unusual uh, ways to uh, christianity Uh, the resources in christianity uh, the story of christianity and also the story of colonial history uh, in ways where dalits are seen as being the agents of their own acts of liberation for example there is just um, one thing that i want to highlight dalit communities were denied education in fact uh, some communities uh, according to some texts they were molten lead would be poured on their into their ears or into their throats if, even if they tried to uh, learn the scriptures of the hindu traditions and therefore when the uh, christian missionaries came to india they found english education because they were deprived of the right to a language so they found english education to be a sort of a surrogate space for them to navigate the liberation so in fact in one village there is a shrine that is uh, erected to a dalit goddess called the goddess of english well this may sound to be too problematic because um, post colonial stories would say english is the primary uh, way in which colonialism happened but for people 
who did not have access to language, who did not have access to literature, they do not want to identify themselves with anything Indian because it is, it is always denied to them. And somebody puts it beautifully. Uh, they did not want to identify with a mother tongue, but they wanted to identify with a foster tongue. This has a different uh, way of understanding the interaction or the intersection between colonialism and Dalit, uh, Dalit communities. So uh, th- there's some areas that I am researching on what would a post-colonial approach to Dalit theology look like and using some of the uh, Sione's uh, restoring uh, frameworks. Thank you. And that's exciting for us to hear the way in which you're re-narrating, renegotiating, complexifying inherited received stories that we can all benefit from. The last question we always ask on this podcast, uh, Peniel, is about about you and about how your research here into Dalit theologies, into missiology, into interreligious dialogue, into work for the common good for justice and peace. How has all of that shaped your own faith and your ministry? Let, let, let me let me speak of this in terms of not who I am as shaped by all these theologies, but who I am becoming because of all this. I think what it has uh, helped me to understand about myself and uh, is to see how all that we do in terms of theology uh, is not the goal itself, but a means towards this bigger goal of the promise of G- uh, Jesus, of life in all its fullness. And these are all, we could either say, vehicles to move towards the goal, uh, and sometimes we need to change vehicles because there are traffic jams. Uh, the, there are accidents that can happen, which means that we uh, probably are in the wrong vehicle in the wrong place. So also it has helped me that there are times when I need to alight from these vehicles that help me to move towards Jesus' goal of life in all its fullness and choose a new vehicle or even walk. It is this way of constantly re- rethinking the methods that I'm using for my research uh, and to see how best they can help me to move closer to a vision of what it means to live Jesus' promise of life in all its fullness in the Oikos, in the whole inhabited earth, that these uh, trajectories help me to learn yeah, as a journey towards justice and peace. Well, Peniel, it has been... A pleasure to have you on the podcast. It's been informative. It's also been thought-provoking. And it's also been, I hope, inspiring for, for us as we think about our own contexts as well. So thank you for joining us. Thank you, Sam. You have been listening to Talking Theology, a podcast from Cranmahal, Durham. Cranmahal is a theological college within St. John's College in the University of Durham, training people for ministry in the Church of England and other denominations. Find out more about us at cranmahal.com.